It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad. <laughs> It's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. Josh in the park texting in tonight to 630-630. He says, what do you think of the Maroons signing? Do you think he had no other option other than the one year? Well, I don't think he was getting a lot of long-term offers. Uh, I think that teams definitely see some value in Maroon, but also some question marks. Look, he had a great year with Edmonton. He uh, wasn't as good in this follow-up year. And uh, like a lot of Oilers in the past year, he had some pretty good games, and then he had uh, a stretch of games where he wasn't so good, and he is coming off back surgery. He does get to sign with his hometown St. Louis Blues one year, $1.75 million. Oil 10 says, any insight on where Eric Carlson goes? Tampa Bay seems to have their return in Sergachev, top prospects, first-round pick and uh, maybe a second and uh, some cap room. That is from Oil 10. Yeah, I mean, Oil 10, I think in, uh, something happened there. I'm probably reading the same things you are. It, it seemed close a couple days ago that it, uh, well, I guess it was before the weekend that it might have had, was it uh, Thursday or Friday night? seemed close that he might go to Tampa Bay. Uh, they still seem like the front runner, but obviously that could wind up being the story of the summer in the NHL if Eric Carlson gets traded. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 6.30, Chet. Eskimos and Argos Friday night on this very station, 5.30. Countdown to kick off. The game will start at 7. Blue Jays lead Atlanta 1-0 in the bottom of the fifth. Dare I call it this, Robin Brownlee, a rematch of the 1992 World Series. <laughs> Reaching. Yeah, I, I always hate that. Most of these players not born in 1992, but oh, they're still holding the grudge about that one. <laughs> well, yeah, not twelve. A lot of them would be. So not the. Uh, uh, Try to think here. It was uh, no, it was Mitch Williams. Carter hit the homer off in '93. Yeah. Jeff Reardon gave up the homer to Ed Sprague in Game One of 1992. Had Sprague on the show last year. Yeah. I like Sprague, good meat and potatoes player. Those Blue Jays teams were so deep. And I mean, they were, here's the thing. Those Blue Jays teams of the early 90s were the types of teams Canadians would have hated if it was the Yankees. They just acquired players. They outspent, now they also drafted Mm -hmm. fairly well, but they could trade for Carter and Alomar. They could trade for Henderson at the deadline. Crime dog. Fred McGriff. Uh, who else was McGriff still on the World Series teams? Or was he? No, he was gone no, by yeah, then. Yeah, but he I'm just thinking of that. Then. You know what? There was a time not to make any, you know, old timers in town cry. <laughs> the, the Blue Jays, you're talking about being a pretty loaded team that probably could have had a longer run than the two World Series. The Mon- Montreal. Well, that's you're breaking everybody's heart now. Uh, I got 94. We would have had three in a row in Canada. I remember I sat in spring training one day behind a a batting cage with Larry Walker. um, And we were talking about 
uh, that era. And it was just unbelievable. I mean, if you go through the list uh, of the players on those teams, um, unbelievable teams to not have that ring on their finger, just the way it worked out. I believe, uh, I mean, I, I, I had no idea we were going to talk about this. I gave the Blue Jays score and randomly brought up a memory. I believe the 94 team, it was what, August 10th, I think the season got shut down. I believe the 94 Expos, seven of their eight starters, I think, had double digits in steals. It's either six or seven of their eight regular position players had double digits in steals. They had power. They had pitching. Uh, I mean, I think Pedro Martinez was in his first or second year. Yeah, kid, so they the still they, they still had. Uh, I mean, they had the was Wetland on that team, so they Marquise had they, Grissom. They had, they had all kinds. They of... had they had everything: speed, power, defense. I think seventy four and forty was their record. Now the Yankees were good uh, on the AL side, and and that was the first year they had the wild card, so there would have been an extra playoff round. But the the Expos would have been favored to win the NL. Never never happened. No, one of the great non-events in baseball history <laughs> there was the, the, what, what, what the might have been the hypothetical 1994 World Series which all Canadians just say the Expos would have won just like Yankees fans probably say well the Yankees would have had another one I would like to have seen it I remember the, the back, way back to Jerry Park days um, I you know Rusty Staub before they were really much of anything um Canadian and the Canadian team in the big leagues? Yeah, where do I sign up to watch that? If you're a baseball fan, nothing better. See, the first era of the Expos I can remember is uh, Carter, Dawson, Wallach, yeah. Rogers. Uh, oh, Reigns, obviously. Reigns, incredible player. So I, I, like, I vaguely remember the 81 playoffs where they lost on the Blue Monday home run. <laughs> and what in 79-80, they, they lost the division by a game or two to the team that wound up winning the World Series, the F- Pirates one year and the Phillies the next year. Those were, they had good teams. But they were, if you, did you read um, Up, Up, and Away, the Jonah Carey book? No, the, I did That's not. a great book. And basically, the Expos were in financial trouble from almost day one. Yes. Like they were trying to scrap together a team and and trading off stars in their prime. It's amazing they stayed good as long as they did. No, it was a lot of fun. It was sad to see them go, to be honest with you. Robin Brownlee's in studio, a uh, longtime sports writer in the city. Uh, he's doing some fun stuff for OilersNation.com. We're going we're gonna to get to that in a few minutes. How excited are you for England-Croatia tomorrow? Like, pardon? I says, I says, I says, pardon? <laughs> this is great. He's like, is that the D group at the World Hockey Championship? You know what? The I'm, World Cup has not moved your black old heart, Robin. It has not, but I'm not going to be uh, that guy who uh, puts down the game. I've never been a big soccer watcher. If I find myself in front of a TV and uh, it's on, I actually I enjoy watching it, and there's a lot of aspects of the game that are terrific. Uh, there's a lot that uh, don't appeal to me. So no, I I could not tell you the matchups, except when I came in, so I'm not making it up. I said France moved on, did they not? Yes. I so I knew that much. Um, as for the rest of it, now is uh, England still there? Yeah, England Croatia's tomorrow. The other yeah. semifinal, then the finals on Sunday, and they have a third place game, which players love. So England, <laughs> what's the best matchup out there for uh, the hardcores? Uh, you know, rock and the joint uh, listenership worldwide. Is it England France? Well, it's England France for yeah. sure. I mean, I'm, I assume there's a uh, a strong Croatian community in Edmonton, but I, I would think England, given the history of our country, England France would be 
would England, France would I would think would pique the interest of more people who would only watch one soccer game every four years, and it's the World Cup final. Now, are we right? talking? And with which one of these teams, Reed, are we talking? Boys, this is our shot. It's been forever. Oh, England. Uh, England is the... Well, England hasn't won it since 67. So How do the, I know this? They're the like, Maple Leafs, correct? <laughs> well, there aren't as many World Cups as there are NHL seasons. But it, but Eng- England's the country that always wants to be synonymous with soccer, but never wins a major international tournament. <laughs> right? Now, France... So England won in 66 on home soil. France won on home soil in 98. And France was in the final in 06 when Zidane headbutted the guy in overtime. Remember oh, that? Right in the sternum. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember. I do remember. Yeah. So France has been uh, a more obviously consistent world power. Now, France France will be favored regardless of who they play because I think they're ranked three. I believe England's 12 and Croatia's 20 if you trust the FIFA rankings. And as we know, there's never anything wrong with FIFA. Nor the IOC. Well, I study those rankings pretty closely, and I've got to say, I've got a couple of issues with. Them. <laughs> you've got, you've got, well, you do your own rankings. Well, that's that's a great transition. Uh, so you're doing. So you're writing stuff on OilersNation.com. By the way, we had your buddy uh, Bag Milk in here last week. I, I I saw that. I was going to listen and maybe call in and heckle him, but. Uh, <laughs> well, he, he got enough of that from me directly. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so well, okay. Let's do the other list first. Before we get to the current one you're working on, you did, what was it, the 100 greatest Oilers yes. of all time? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so how, how do you begin? Let's start there. How do you begin? Well, I tell you what, it was it was a lot of work in that you don't, it, you've got to qualify it all up front, as, as you often do with these kind of things. I was not ranking uh, the players as the best players because otherwise you could become a spreadsheet guy. It's not all stats. And you would know where the names were going. You you would know one, two, three, four, five, probably six and seven. Um, It was a lot of things. It was uh, highest on the list was probably uh, uh, team success. Now, there were probably some role players who got dragged along along in that that would be higher than some remarkably skilled players who didn't win anything. Sure, right. I mean, put it this way. uh, How how do you read, how do you rate, uh, let's say, a terrific player like Doug Waite against, uh, pick any guy who won three or four cups uh, with the powerhouse Oilers, but wasn't a top six forward or a, a top two uh, pairing D-man. Sure. Um, was Randy Gregg's cups here make him a more substantial Oiler than Doug Waite? In my book, I didn't have Gregg ahead of Waite, but winning and Stanley Cups mattered. If you were an unbelievable player, it mattered. It was what, And it was also what you did with the Oilers, not what you did in your whole career. Sure. Because going on to this other list I'm working on, there were some guys who were Oilers who went on to have most of, the, or if not all of their success with other teams. So it didn't matter what a guy's career numbers were, if only a, a year or two of them were with the Oilers, then, he wasn't going to yeah. be... So it was, which, it was, is, which is interesting because Chris Pronger had one of the greatest seasons in Oilers history. He was he was one of my highest 
non and, and I took some garbage for that uh, because of the way things ended because it was one year and because they didn't actually win but that team was not within a five dollar cab ride of the playoffs let alone the cup final without Chris Pronger that yeah. year yeah so um, that kind of thing my highest ranked non Stanley Cup winner uh, was Ryan Smith. And what would he been, like six six or seven? No, he was like nine. He was a okay. top ten. Weight was high. Uh, Pronger was high. He was behind them. But, I mean, you look at the top ones, right? Well, hmm, who, who might those be? Yeah, top three or four are pretty easy. It was a it was a lot of fun and, and it generated which is what we People wanted love to lists, do. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, you're you know Brownlee, you don't know what you're talking about, or right on, or you know it depends uh, uh, what you're looking for. Uh, like I say, I wanted to make it significant Oilers, not necessarily who had the most goals, assists, and points, because that's kind of a yawn after a while. That, that's an amazing task, though, doing the the top 100 in. You know, I, I mean, hey, they're not as an original six team, but they've still been around a while. Now, where'd you put McDavid? Because you did this last summer, right? I said I was not, when it started, I said I'm not putting him on the list. Okay. It was a two-year project. Well, it took that long. Wow. Well, we ran four a month for 25 months. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And at the start, I said, unless he's, it's crazy. And by the end of it, he was there. And I would have to go to, on the website to see where I, I rated him, Reed. But uh, um, when all is said and done, uh, I can imagine if you did another one in uh, five or seven years from now, you're going to have to make room for him in the top ten, I would suggest, whether there's a cup or not. Uh, thanks to the person who cre- I, I reversed the rankings. Belgium w- ranked third. France is uh, seventh. Okay. In the FIFA World Rankings, I, I was mixed up in my head. I was so. going to correct you on that as well. Uh, this texter says, of course, this person didn't sign his or her name. Seriously mocking the biggest sport in the world while you are ignorant. Instead, you are talking about hypothetical hockey stats. Thanks for supporting a sport that's huge in Edmonton. Well, we weren't mocking soccer. Robin simply said it's not his favorite sport to watch. Yeah. Wasn't uh, mocking at all. And by the way, uh, did you hear all the FC Edmonton coverage we've done in the past few weeks about them changing leagues, about having the owner in studio, having the GM on the show, having the new coach in studio? Just a quick message to that texter about the sport being huge in Edmonton. Anyway, that's an aside. Yeah, no, we'll move along. Uh, all right, so now you're doing the top 10 Oilers. Post-1990. Post-1990, so nobody who won a cup, who, what was it called, the best ones that got away? The top ten who got away. Right. Because if you were including all the teams, well, there's one guy that you'd just, you'd take him from the list, the top of the top 100 list and move him over to the top ten who got away list. That would be number 99. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, no, I just, you know, I threw together, Reed, and, and for some of our younger uh, readers out there. It was the post-1990 because you're going to get, you get a s- certain amount of repetition. If you just look at, you look at all the teams, well, there's a lot of names off those Stanley Cup teams that are going to dominate. So sure. I just thought, who ca- who came uh, and, and left post-1990, whether they were here for a year or five years, but mostly guys who left still in their prime or a bit, uh, n- not in their peak years yet, where they, you gave them away for nothing, uh, or it was a bad trade, or, or frankly, nobody saw how good they might be. It's not so much that anybody blew it. It's just like, oh, man, what were we thinking? Three right. years down the road, a guy hits a stride. So 
Okay, so number one is still coming up, so we won't reveal who that is, so keep an eye on, on Oilers Nation for that. <laughs> uh, I can tell you, though, uh, the, the Robins list of the top ten Oilers who got away, number one is not Taylor Hall, who won the Hart Trophy this year as the MVP of the league. I would know Taylor was number six. Right. I would suggest that five years from now, he might be higher up that list. Um, I had him at six. We know what happened with Taylor. Uh, when you're a Hart Trophy winner, uh, traded for you know Adam Larson, uh, this team uh, is is looking to get out of a, a decade uh, out of the playoffs. You know, before last year, they felt they had to move him. Um, he's a polarizing player in some ways. I thought Taylor Hall was a terrific player, and I think he's going to be a terrific player uh, for a long time. And it's not like the Oilers, and it's not where this guy was a came to a couple of training camps. They made the decision to move him, um, and that's one of those ones that I think it kind of stings at times, especially when the team has a down year like last year, uh, where the guy who came the other way had a down year through no fault of his own, frankly, with the off-ice stuff. Sure. That was difficult to play through. But yeah, Taylor Hall is six and probably with a bullet on my list. Right. Well, you have to redo the list every four or five years now. I'm going to hold you to that, Ron. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I love that you put Benny Domfu second. He was only here a year, part of a stretch where he led three different teams in scoring in, in three separate years, going from Toronto to Edmonton to, uh, to Montreal. That's a guy who, again, they made a decision now. Uh, some people have suggested, you know, I don't know that Vincent made a trade demand. I know he preferred to be home. Sure. Um, they traded him knowing what they were trading. Um, to me, it was a, a terrible trade in that uh, Vincent went on to captain the team to win a Stanley Cup there to have a I want to say 97 point season. Uh, he'd already he'd already uh, uh, put up big points, so it wasn't a matter of not knowing what you were, were giving away. Like I said, he wasn't a kid, but he wasn't old. I think he was 25 uh, when they moved him. You know, 89 points in in 80 games that that one yeah. year with the Oilers on a not great team to be honest. No, with you. that was a, a team that was headed there, yeah. in decline. Um, that hurts. A big center who can score. Yeah, you don't find those everywhere. Uh, Jeff texting in the ones that got away: Dan Lacouture or Valerie Zelipukin. I guess those didn't make your list. Not in the top ten. Danny Lacouture. No, he, they did not. But Danny Lacouture wept openly when he was traded. Really? We were in Tampa. The word came down, and Danny Lack, for well, he was a, a, a ham and egger. He was a, a third or fourth line player. Um, he said, say goodbye to Mosser for me, and he broke down. Wow. He was a good kid. Yeah. Danny Lack, yeah. But yeah, no, no. But, but being a good kid doesn't get you on the No, list. that's the thing. There are, I mean, Drew Remender always says that. Most of them are good guys. Zella Pukin came the other way, was the only positive about the other bad, uh, the guy that got away, one, another polarizing player, young Jason Arnott. That's right. Sent him away for Zella Pukin and Bill Guerin. You know, yeah, that's, well, Guerin had some great seasons. But again, he gets traded for... When did he get traded? 2000, 2001? 
and and you keep they kept losing guys right you, you put Dubnik seventh and I always uh, you know I, I I've been covering the team you know firsthand for just five years so yeah. I have a, from the time and and I I always hesitate to do this because I don't want to sound like I'm disrespecting Matt Hendricks because Hendricks is one of those guys in the NHL he comes every day and he does his job and he, and he has a positive impact on yeah. his teammates. But his job is very limited in its expectations, right? Play eight to ten minutes, hit, block a shot, score every 20th game. And Dubnik went the other way, who in the last three years has been a top five goalie in the NHL. That's worth a lot more than a fourth liner. And here's one of the things that factors into it for me, Reed. Um, What did you get back, and was it a reasonable call? In this case... And I really enjoyed Devin. I talked to him uh, a lot, just one-on-one. We had some, you know, similar interests. He was a good kid. He was a smart kid. He was a blazer, a team I covered for four years before I came to the Edmonton Journal. The wheels fell off, Devin. And you can argue that he deserved more rope that he'd earned that. He worked his way through the system when the minor mm-hmm. league system wasn't in place. Couldn't got, get a win when he was starting out. He got yeah. bounced around. And you know what? Yeah, the year, that that one year was a bad year. Let's not, you know, revisionist history. There was He was guilty of the bad goal. But the thing was, he looked like he was going to be out of the league he, for a while there. I mean, he really struggled. His confidence was gone. And it took him a couple of stops to get it right. And... At the time, it was probably that he didn't look like a guy you could go with. So it's easy for us to look back, well, sure. which, which is our stock and trade, <laughs> right? <laughs> with the hindsight and say, oh, that was a... T-. And it was terrible. He wouldn't be on the list if I didn't think they, they, they lost big time on moving him out. But the fact was, he had to make a couple stops and he got it back. And good, he got a nice big contract. Uh, he's back to playing like he could. But he earned his way up through the system, got his shot... You know, moved Jeff Delorier right out of the way yep. um, and took a chance, but he took a chance on some bad teams, struggled. He, he was a 920 on on, a, on some pretty mediocre teams. Well, the that year, lockout shortened year, Dubnik was really good. The year before, yeah. the wheels fell off. Then yeah. the wheels fell off, and the, he couldn't. And he said he's owned it. I couldn't. I didn't stop enough pucks. So, yeah, he's on there. All right, Robin Brownlee's going to stick around in studio. We'll uh, have some more chat with him after the news. Inside Sports on 630 Chat. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chan. Joined in studio by Robin Brownlee, so keep an eye on OilersNation.com. Uh, in a, uh, probably sometime this week, they'll have the number one oiler who got away. So the suspense is killing us all, Robin. Sure. Thanks, thanks for coming in tonight. Good to see. You. Hey, by the way, thanks for having me out at the Mustard Seed Golf Tournament a couple of weeks ago. Uh, tell us, just give us a little bit of how you, you know you got working with them and uh, and how you found it. Well, you know what, it's been terrific. Um, you know, it was through Hockey Helps the Homeless, and and uh, uh, you know you as well as uh, Bob, uh, everybody here at Chad was very good helping us get the word out. It went, it was the best. Uh, tournament uh, we've ever had here uh, they brought me in to help with that um, it went well and a lot of people did good stuff you had Mac T in here uh, one night with us um, you know it, it, it was it's a real meaning it's a meaningful necessary 
uh, body of work. I mean, being a winter city, homelessness is an awful thing at the best of times, and Edmonton in January is far from the best of times. So um, there's a lot of work to do. When Hockey Helps the Homeless ended, uh, I had a contract with them, and um, I, things went well enough that they said, would you like to come aboard uh, uh, and work with us and I, I said yes so I'm doing that again year round um, I'm still doing my writing I'm still doing some uh, work with CP some Eskimo coverage and such but uh, yeah it's it's uh, it feels good to be a part of something that, that uh, helps people like this it's a terrific group of people uh, there's a lot of uh, groups like this in the city that do really good work, and I'm just happy to be uh, part of what uh, they're doing here. Yeah, well said. Well, I mean, you did, you, you're doing a great job. And, Thank you. And the golf tournament went well, and, and you're right. I mean, We were brutal, however. Well, well yes, <laughs> I generally am when I golf. Just ask Jim Matheson about how I played this morning. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it, it is an important thing, and it's one of those things where, you know, your ties through sports – you can you know get get people involved to to help and and it is something important and you know there may be people who who donate to the mustard seed or their organization of choice that that'll right. help but there's a bunch of people involved in it every day working and volunteering and and I think you got to acknowledge those people too and all those in our community who who need help they're not waking up in the morning worried about the Oilers power play they're worried about a pair of socks or a meal or something like that, right? So get some perspective. Yeah, and those, and hockey, we're lucky enough to, uh, uh, you're covering it actively. I covered it for many years as, as a beat guy. Um, that It's great to be able to do that, but there's some other things more fundamental that uh, people have to worry about every day, and I think about that when I wake up. And like I say, I still do my writing, but uh, working with the mustard seed, I'm finding... Uh, very satisfying, and uh, this is a good town to be doing this in. This sounds corny, but it's true, because I'm not an Edmontonian. I've been here since 89. I consider myself one now, obviously. Mm-hmm. People in this town respond. That's what's really knocked me over, um, whatever it is, and, and that's a good feeling. So it's it's worthwhile work in, in a town that responds to causes that need to be responded to. Well said. Speaking of response, to tr- transition back into the frivolous sports talk. Sure. Uh, you mentioned you're writing for Canadian Press on uh, our Edmonton Eskimos, yes. who are 2-2. Two and two. I had Jed Roberts in studio last night. He said he thought they might start 1-3 and three just because of the injuries and inexperience in the secondary. He said that he thinks they have the athletes, but so much goes into football and preparation, communication with teammates. Mm-hmm. So he's actually not too distraught that they started two and two. Uh, having said that, that's game Saturday. They it's should like, they should be three and one. It's like the Argos were now Winnipeg sitting there and saying we should have beat them back in in week one too. So, but but yeah, I mean the Argos were begging the Eskimos to take control of that game. Uh, they never really could. Well, we know the story. Anybody who watched that game or, you know, the comments of coming out of practice all week, uh, you know, that was a coulda, woulda, shoulda game. Uh, you can't... Uh, the Eskimos have got into a habit. Uh, let's say they don't draw it up this way, obviously. They've fallen behind by in three of the first four games. So it's still early, but that's not a trend uh, you want to get into. The other thing is uh, penalties. While penalties are down across the league, uh, the Eskimos are second only to Montreal, Montreal, which is a terrible club, Sure. Uh, in terms of number of penalties and yardage on those flags. Uh, they 
they need to be better than that. You can't take touchdowns off the board with penalties, and they did that. And you can't be ta- you can't be taking chunks of 15 for unsportsmanlike. Those are preventable penalties. Those aren't effort penalties or penalties uh, of commission where you run. Like sometimes through. you're going to hold. As frustrating as it be, sometimes there's going to be a hold. That's, sometimes there's going to be an offside. That's saying that's filling the swear jar sure. or doing stuff that you're not supposed to. You know, um, it's not the end of the world, but those are two things early. Uh, if you should be three and one, that's what you want to see in the win loss column, uh, not two and two. And now you've got uh, Toronto coming back, uh, feeling good about themselves because they were teetering there going into that game. Yep. Oh, they can time. be an 0 3 club after that ball game. Um, you know, Franklin and Wilder Jr. give them a chance. Well, you could see that with Franklin here. The guy's an athlete. How g- it wasn't a matter of whether you'd be able to play. It's a matter of how good he might become. And, of course, everybody expected, well, we're going to have to wait and see because as long as Ricky wants to play, Ricky's going to play. But Ricky's not going to play, and now it's going to be Wilder, and he's a, no. he's got some tools. Wilder's uh, a good back. I mean, I think the Argos defense can be had, but I mean, Tressman's a great coach, so you know he's he's sitting there analyzing what the Eskimos did all week. It's gonna be an interesting matchup. I mean, the thing is with Riley. Uh, I mean, even even last year, uh, Riley had a couple off games, but he was still the MLP, no doubt, by the end of the year. So usually, he's not a guy who. Uh, you could, if there's anybody you count on him for a bounce back, not that he was bad in Toronto, but every, everybody's got a 370 well, yards. No, he, was, he was still played well, <laughs> but I mean, I'm just saying when, when you need somebody to take control and sort of lead, usually Riley's that is that guy after after a tough game. Uh, it, it, it'll be it, it'll be an interesting season. I mean, it, this, the CFL is, and I know people always say, well, two thirds of the teams make the playoffs, but yeah. Tell that to the one third that doesn't get in, right? That's tell that to the BC Lions getting their butts Are kicked they every week. That's not we a good can, squad. We do not need to count on Montreal or, or BC at this point. I would think. I would agree with that. Out on a limb with that call, am I? It, and that's what's interesting about the league is because I think Calgary's. I mean, what Calgary's? I I, I should have gone back and checked because I referenced it on Bob Shore today. Calgary's lost what seven games in the last two years. Two yeah. of them were Grey Cups. Hamilton, despite being two and two, they look pretty good, and they've played three of their four on the road. Like they, and again, they're probably kicking themselves. How did we not beat Saskatchewan? Same way Edmonton's kicking themselves. How did we not beat Toronto? Well, I tell you what, Jeremiah Mazzoli, hmm, as a quarterback, right former there. Eskimo. You know, like, well, there's that. That's happened a lot over the years. But I, I'm happy for him. He was, I mean, he was terrific against the Eskimos. They. I mean, you weren't stopping him that night. No. Some of the passes he made, I mean, they're, they're money passes. It wasn't like the Eskimos were nowhere to be found. He just played a terrific game. It was fun to watch him. And, Robin, you've you've seen this with guys, and, and I've really started watching for this the last few years because Riley had to go through it. And the CFL will always glamorize and romanticize the running quarterback. But the best quarterbacks only run as a last resort. Like Damon Allen learned that. And you see that with Mazzoli now and Riley. If you, if you look at Riley from 2013 to 2015, huge progression. When he scrambled in 2013, tucked the ball right away and run. Now, okay, you're moving, in the, you're moving, but your eyes are still downfield and the ball's still in throwing position. And then you run as a last resort. And Mazzoli has now learned that. Well, you're... So, 
Well, you're seeing a little gray in the temples with Riley, right? You just right. mentioned a five-year span. Sure. 13. Uh, and you mentioned that the other day at practice. Uh, that buys you time. That your If your legs can give your arm more time to work, that's why you're doing it. Uh, guys who run blood and guts, uh, it's fun for fans to watch, but you need to be able to pass the ball. Uh, it needs to be a threat. Um, if you, but if you can't pass the ball, it does. I mean, Doug Flutie was terrific because he could buy time, and and he was a, he was a small man. Uh, Riley, sometimes you're going, Mike, in his early years, get down, yeah, I know. go down, like because he, he he does. Fear is not natural to him, and uh, they need his arm in the lineup. I mean, back to back five thousand yard years. Uh, running is great, but C.J. Gable showed before, again, having a quiet week this time, the last time out had a career game before that. Yeah. They need to establish that. Let C.J. Gable uh, or John White years past or, you know, Arky Whitlock. Or, okay, let's not, let's not put Arky they, in that same category. Let's have them carry the ball. Your <laughs> MOP does not need to... You want your MOP to have his hands on the ball every offensive play. What you don't want every offensive play is hands on him. And so you got to be primarily passing the ball. And I think he's found that measure now where the the run is buying time and a last resort and, and maybe something happens. All right, quickly here before we wrap up, speaking of lists, uh, greatest Eskimos quarterbacks of all time. I'm assuming we put Moon one. Yes. Is Riley ahead of Reno as an Eskimo? No. Not quite? Not for me. Okay. Um, I mean, but, there's no one from the 90s. There were some guys that had okay years. Damon wasn't here long enough. Dunnigan wasn't here long enough. What do you think of Tracy Ham? Had 1,000 a, a yards rushing, didn't he, as an Eskimo quarterback. But again, the longevity for me, and Ham never as a starter won a great cup. He was gone in 93. Yeah, no, right? I know. You know what? There, there's a conversation. There's there's three names for me, and you went through them. They're, that are at the top of that list. You know, Matt Dunnigan was a blood and guts guy, too. Um, you can, guys can be in the conversation, but I think if the Eskimos uh, can win another Grey Cup uh, and, and they look capable, uh, the Riley Ray thing comes up. I always liked Ricky Ray because he was the antithesis uh, of Riley. He would run at gunpoint only <laughs> and he could drop a ball in to a wastebasket from 40 yards out uh, the touch he had on the ball he was that pure passer it was it was a beautiful thing to watch him throw a ball moon was the athlete and he could still it's not be mistaken, he could pass the ball. Yeah. But he could also take off and he could run around you or he could run over you. And of course, his greatest years came on the other side of the border, as great as he was here. Mm -hmm. I mean, you spent, play that long in the National Football League, you've done done something right. Not No, not number of championships, perhaps, but the exposure and the money came from after he left here. But yeah, Moon, Ray, Riley, and then a sort of a second tier with Ham and Dunnigan and Allen. Um, yeah. Robin Brownlee, thanks for coming in. Pleasure to have you on Inside Sports. Thanks for having me, Reed. We're coming right back. We're going to talk about a 12-hole golf course west of Edmonton.
All right, good to have you tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 6.30. Chad Eskimos hosts the Argos Friday. Game starts at 7. Our coverage will start at 5.30 in the afternoon. My name is Reed Wilkins. We're going to go out to Pine Ridge Golf Resort near Seba Beach and bring uh, the course owner on the show, Jeff Richardson. Jeff, you're on with Reed. Thanks for making time for me. How are you doing? I'm well, Reed. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on tonight. Uh, I, I, let's jump right to it here. You have a 12-hole golf course. Uh, it used to be nine. It's not now 12. What prompted you to make the switch? Well, Reed, you know what? We're not that much different than most golf courses that uh, get built nowadays. It was part of a larger real estate development. Uh, we had some land that was joining the golf course that had a beautiful view over Lake Wadman and it fit in real nice to build our third phase of RV lots and, and plug in a few more holes. And, and it wasn't hard to get on board with this 12-hole concept. It's, uh, it's worked well for us, and we really there's a lot of great things about it. You know, I, I remember a few years ago when the U.S. Open was at Chambers Bay near uh, Seattle. A lot of people were complaining about that course. And I think it was Gary Player that came out and said, we can't build courses like this because once the tournament goes, the average person can't play it. It's too difficult. And we need to think about things to get the uh, you know the more average person playing golf. And maybe one thing is is shorter courses that are 10, 12, or 14 holes. How did that thinking uh, figure into your decision? Well, that's exactly it. I mean, there's a number of big names in the golf industry, Jack Nicklaus being probably the biggest, that uh, has stated the same thing, saying it's it's the future of golf and that golf, you know, the game uh, taking four and a half, five hours to, to do an 18-hole round is, it's just a huge chunk of people's time, and you need to be so committed to, to doing that. And so, you know, it's uh, it's really our, our 12-hole round takes about three hours, and we're out in the lake community, and lots of our customers can, you know, go fishing for the rest of the day. Or those of us that, you know, have families can you know, get uh, the answers yes from the wife to go out for a 12-hole round, whereas it might not be, it might be no if it was 18, so... Now, do you, is there, I'm curious, is there like a six-hole or a, a nine-hole option, or is it just 12? How do you work that? Well, you know, for us, we actually don't. It's a 12-hole only option. Um, we looked at, at op- different options for routing, and, uh, you know, if you are first thing in the morning on the tee sheet, you know, one of the first three tee times, we could send you out for a nine-hole option. But other than that, it, we've stuck to the 12 and uh, you know we've gone we've gone in full bore, and the feedback has been phenomenal. We opened these new holes in August of last year, and we did a bunch of survey sheets with our customers, and and uh, you know 90% of people are saying, hey, why why haven't we seen this before? And we are entirely on board. As far as you know, are you the only 12-hole course in Alberta? Yeah, we are. Um, there is one in Saskatchewan. But the one in Saskatchewan uh, converted from 18 to 12, whereas we went from 9 to 12. Okay. Uh, as I understand it, there's a few in Ontario and some in Florida as well. Although the Florida ones, uh, I believe one of them is a par 3. The Jack Nicholas designed ones are par 3. So. so if somebody you know is a, a little more serious or just likes to keep their handicap, is, is there are there adjustments for that for your 12-hole track? Well, you know, that's the oddity about it, honestly, at this point in the, in the game. Um, 
you know, we tried to get our slope rating done by the RCGA, and uh, you know, the the formula that they use doesn't uh, isn't necessarily conducive to 12 holes. So, you know, we are definitely, I guess, uh, for, you know, for serious golfers that are keeping their handicap, which is, you know, not um, the vast majority of golfers. Right. Um, you know. It, they will perhaps pass on their handicap when they do a round at our course. But, uh, you know, I think that I probably represent the majority of golfers. I'm, I own a golf course, and I'm not that fantastic of a golfer. <laughs> and uh, I need to wrap my head around my score. You know, I used to – I only golf once a week, and, and I used to get 50. You know, like if I got better than 50, I was happy. If I got worse than 50, I wasn't unhappy. And now that number, you know, is, is, is around the 67 mark. And so uh, I certainly never would have been happy with the round of 60. And now I am. So it, it, that's the oddity for sure, as well as pricing. You know, you need to wrap your head around, uh, you know, what the cost is. If you're comparing our cost as compared to other 9-hole or 18-hole rounds, you know, you just need to do the math. Uh, Jeff, I'm in the last 30 seconds of the show. I'll ask you a couple quick ones. Uh, what's par? Is it par 48? Yes. Okay. 48. All right. And if people want to find out more, uh, what's your website and all that stuff? www.pineridgegolfresort.com and our phone number is 797-GOLF. And you're right by Siva Beach, right? You bet. We're 40 minutes west on Yellowhead and we've got some golf boards out there and some motorized golf scooters, fat tired bikes. So some fun stuff happening out there. Jeff, thanks for checking in tonight. I'm glad you took the plunge with the 12-hole course. Yeah, so are we, and thanks so much for your time. Jeff Richardson from Pine Ridge Golf Resort. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks for listening to Inside Sports. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.